Hello, everybody, and welcome to Turn to Page number eight, The Curse of the Creeping Coffin. How you doing? <laughs> oh, incredibly well in yourself, buddy. Oh, I'm I'm now uh, creeped at this at this moment. I uh, and titillated and excited for what ultimately looks like a very just Halloween spooky normal book. Because the last time that yep. happened, we got a, I, I would say one of the more cohesive. Well, uh, there was a pterodactyl. <laughs> Never mind. We yeah. got <laughs> we got a, we got like a nice kind of stand standard like campfire horror story kind of book, and I I liked that. I think that was nice. Mm -hmm. So I feel like yeah, we're gonna get when the you've same got thing. that kind of like when you've got that like well known and well understood cliche to lean back on, it gives you the ability to have this kind of strong backbone and still take little variations from it. Like you know, sure, a pterodactyl exists, <laughs> but still have fun with the setting and still feel like it's more cohesive than you know. What was the other one? Uh, we fell into the sewers and drank monster blood yes. out of a can because monster blood makes you larger, and I know that from other goosebumps that book. one yes. thankfully didn't work at least yeah so uh, there's like i i dare to say grounded because it's um but you know what i'm saying it's it's, it's not horror grounded, grounded. It's unearthed, clearly. Oh. we can see there's an exhumed coffin here with r.i.p on the front which i'm assuming is just the dude's name <laughs> here lies rip <laughs> yeah could be rip rip Rip, rip. Uh, either way, do you want to unearth the beware page for us here? I would love to. Beware! <laughs> do not read this book from beginning to end. You can't believe it. You stare out the window at the creepy cemetery in your grandmother's backyard. The graves are moving. You're sure of it. Then you turn to see an even more frightening sight. Your grandmother's house is haunted by ghosts. <laughs> Lots of ghosts. Evil ghosts who want you. Why are the creeping coffins creeping? Do you stay to find out, or do you race home, even though a terrifying ghost is waiting for you there, too? If you stay to discover the coffins are spelling a message in the graveyard, a message that spells out your doom. Unless you can find the ghost who is the keeper of the sword, steal the sword, and plunge it into the grave of the NPG. What's an NPG? You'll have to find out for yourself. But hurry, the ghosts are moving closer and closer. Okay, I thought that it was good. Just, I don't know. <laughs> this one, the description felt more like they were making it up on the spot than some of the others. <laughs> I don't know. Why yeah. are the creeping coffins creeping? Uh, you turn around. There's uh, ghosts. Lots of ghosts. Evil ghosts that want you. <laughs> yes, it, it does. It does sound like the, the person is a DM who's caught off yeah. guard by their players who are like, actually, I'm not interested in going to the graveyard. Um, yeah. uh, well, uh, you, you have to leave because the house is, uh, is haunted by yeah. ghosts and they're evil and they want you. <laughs> they want you. They want you. Come back. Oh, my MPG. What's an MPG? Uh, don't worry about it. <laughs> it's the, name, yeah. it's the this, name of the big this bad. This is also like an... This is another tactic as well. Like they they are trying to get you to be interested in the grave. Everyone's completely disinterested in it. And then there's like, oh, there's the uh, MPG there. They'd have <laughs> no clue what MPG stands for at this point, but they just want the players to be curious enough to go to the graveyard. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'll say at this point, That's I working. need to know what an MPG is. Absolutely. Why don't we start to find out by turning to page one? Let's do it. 
Don't do page one. I'm bored. You moan? I'm so bored I could eat flies just to see how they taste. <laughs> flies have germs. Your grandmother replies. It's a hot, sticky day in the middle of July. You plop down into a creaky old chair in your grandmother's kitchen. Your parents dropped you off yesterday before they left their vacation, left for their vacation, and you already could die of boredom. Your grandmother's old dog, Sparkle, yawns loudly. He crawls under the table. Moments later, he begins to snore. I know just how you feel, Sparkle. You say. You sigh loudly. Why don't, why don't you go outside and find something to do? Your grandmother suggests. She looks up from the pie she's baking and nods toward the backyard. Go out there, you think? Into her backyard? No way! You glance out the window. It's probably 90 degrees in the shade, but you shiver. Your grandmother's house is right in front of an old cemetery. Rows and rows of old crumbling tombstones sit just beyond the edge of her backyard. But that's not what scares you. What scares you is that the tombstones have been moving. I mean, that is a very quick uh, call yeah. to adventure. But I will say... Immediately leaps into it. I'm so bored I could eat flies just to see how they taste. Excuse me? <laughs> like That's a level of boredom I don't think I've ever reached. I, and I have spent <laughs> weeks doing nothing. Yeah, that is um, that is a new level. I, I will say it is just so off the rails that I it has to be a setup for something mm. later. Like, it's a it's a Chekhov's gun. Like, we're gonna have to eat flies to, to kill the mummy. That or yeah. we're a frog. I mean, it's, it's outlandish. I mean, I've been bored enough to want to eat a fly just to know the texture of the crunch, but not to know the taste. That's outlandish. Exactly. Oh, let's go turn to page two. Let's do it. You noticed it right after you arrived yesterday. You saw the tombstones from your bedroom window on the second floor. You could tell that some of the graves had cool carvings on them, so you decided to go outside to take a closer look. It's called an epitaph. Uh, but when you enter the graveyard, <laughs> something was different. Strange. Some of the graves were out of place. It can't be, you told yourself. Graves don't disappear, but still. From your bedroom window, you could have sworn there were six or seven graves in the back row. Now there's only three. Nah, you must have counted wrong. You decided to forget it and went to bed. But, when you woke up this morning and glanced out the window, the coffins had moved again. Now there were ten in the back row, and the middle rows seemed more crowded. It almost looked as if some of the graves were moving forward and some were moving back. And that there was a big traffic jam in the center. The coffins were rearranging themselves, but how and why? Turn to page three. Hmm... I mean, it's almost as though they're spelling something. Could be. Your mother, ta grand mother of Grand, taps you on the shoulder. She snaps you out of your daydream. Go on, go play outside. Outside? Out there? You shudder as you glance out the kitchen window again. Oh no. You cry. It's disappeared! What's disappeared? Your grandmother asks. The, the grave with the angel on it. You screech, pointing out the window. It's gone! One headstone in particular caught your eye yesterday. It had an angel carving on it. The angel looked so realistic that you practically believed she could fly away. Did she? Your grandmother peers out the kitchen window. Don't be a goose. 
She scolds you. The tombstone is still there. You don't answer her. You can't. Your heart is pounding crazily and your mouth has gone dry. You bolt out the back door. You see, you've got to see for yourself. But in the graveyard, you discover that your, wait, in the graveyard, you discover that your grandmother is right. The tombstone with the angel isn't gone. It just moved. It had been in the last row and now it's up in the front. I'm losing my mind, you think. Losing it completely. Or are you? Turn to page four. <laughs> you run back into the house shouting. Grandma! You yell. That grave with the angel on it! Your grandmother interrupts you. You don't have to shout, dear, the angel. She looks up from her pie crust. That's a nice one. Let me see who was buried there. Oh, yes, that's Elmira Martin's grave. Before you can explain about the moving gravestones, a voice on the far side of the room makes you jump. The name is Elvira Martin, the voice says sharply. Not Elmira. You never could get my name right. Your mouth drops open. A strange woman now stands in the doorway that leads from the kitchen into the hall. A very strange woman, because she isn't a living, breathing woman. She's a ghost. Uh, Grandma? You begin. But from the way your granny is humming to herself, you can tell she doesn't hear or see this scary visitor. Oh, don't you stare at me, you little wretch. Oh, he did it. He did it. You did it. The ghost says, pointing at you. Or you'll be sorry. What are you going to do? Suddenly you're living in a haunted house. Oh, my goodness. Uh, do we yeah. run outside or do we talk to the ghost? This is this is just an immediate call to adventure. I Oh, absolutely. Just, there's already moving graves and a ghost in our house on page four. Uh, three and four. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, hmm. Leaping right into it. I, I gotta say, I kind of want to talk to the ghost. I'm happy to talk to the ghost. <laughs> Slight thumb on the scale for that reason. I mean, yeah, no, no reason. No, no fancy toys you want to play with. I did nothing whatsoever. Uh, let's go. Let's do it. Let's go to page 25. Why are you here? You ask the ghost, but your grandmother thinks you're talking to her. You know why I'm here. Your grandmother answers. I live here. Don't be such a goose. For some reason, your grandmother can't see Elvira. You've always wanted to have a special skill, but ghost spotting wasn't what you had in mind. Try to think of a way to ask Elvira a question without having your grandmother think you're completely crazy. But you can't, so you keep staring at the ghost. She glares at you a moment, then motions for you to follow her. You watch as she floats into the hall and up the stairs towards your room. Follow a ghost, you think? Are you nuts? Just the idea gives you a chill. If you follow the ghost, turn to page 49. If you race out of the house fast and go home, turn to page 30. Yeah, that's going to be the classic bullying option that Goosebumps gives you. Yeah. No, go pick the story one, nerd. Yeah, that's the... Are you really going to let... A ghost scare you? Are you never going <laughs> to live your life? You're going to just hang out here being scared of ghosts that, you, you know, yeah. are in your house all day? How did you get past the cover? 
<laughs> that's spookier than anything in the setup so far go back to the cover reacquaintance like make yourself familiar with the gothic theming of it all then open the book again I think yeah we need i need to go to the ghost i think we follow the ghost if we die here screw that but all right 49 you follow elvira to your room on the second floor the moment you step into the bedroom she slams the door then she whirls around to face you. Her eyes turn green and begin to glow. You back up, stumbling, and fall onto the bed. You little wretch! She I don't says, want any trouble from you! Sparks seem to fly from her flashing green eyes. You shrink back into the pillows. Then Elvira gazes around the room. Yes, yes, this will do nicely. What, what do you mean? You stammer. Elvira floats towards the bed. She hovers over you. I'm taking over this room now. She tells you. Get out. You would love to leave, but you are shaking too hard to get up. Besides, you have to find out what's going on. Elvira is the only one who can explain it to you. Please, just tell me why you're here. And why are the graves moving? Shut up! She screeches. And get off that bed! I want to lie down. I haven't slept in a bed in 51 years. Uh-oh, you realize. You aren't just dealing with a ghost here. You're dealing with a ghost in a very bad mood. You better do what she says on page 72. I, surely they, well, I guess not being sleeping in a real bed. I think coffins tend to look quite comfortable. I, I would say so. I mean, unless it's just that standard old, like, wood, 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 like just... No cushion, mm. but like a nice one. I, hey, I've slept in worse places for sure. Yeah, no kidding. You jump up from the bed. Elvira lies down, neatly spreading her white satin dress on the covers. Her long red hair fans out across the pillow. <sighs> she sighs. A real bed. She shuts her eyes. You hope she doesn't sleep too long. You have so many questions to ask. You hope she'll be in a better mood when she wakes up. She dozes for exactly two minutes, then her eyes pop open. You notice they aren't glowing green anymore. Ah, Elvira says. That's better. Now that she's awake, you're not sure how to begin. You're almost too freaked out to speak, but you have to know. Why are the graves moving? You ask. And what's going on? Oh, it's the curse of the creeping coffins. The ghostly woman answers. And we're moving into this house. All of us. All of us? What does that mean? Gulp. What do you mean, all of you? You manage to stammer. You ask too many questions. Uh-oh. Elvira's eyes flash green again. Don't get in our way, and maybe we'll let you live. She soars up over your head and glares down at you. And don't you go talking to that ghost hunter <laughs> McFarling either. <laughs> Elvira adds, I mean, <laughs> don't you dare use this knife to stab me. Here you go. <laughs> don't exploit my one weakness with this esoteric tool. <laughs> in the next instant she floats backwards and disappears into the wall McFarling? G ghost hunter? 
You're startled by a loud clumping foot by startled by loud clumping footsteps above you. You glance up at the ceiling. The light fixture is shaking. It sounds as if a whole crowd wearing clunky boots is stomping around in the attic. Who could it be? If you want to find out about McFarling, turn to page 16. If you want to find out who's in the attic, 85. I mean... Mm, what do you think? I am a rebel, and I was told not to talk to McFarling. So, mm, it's tempting. against that and have a conversation with him. A ghost hunter? That is exactly what you need. You were told just that. But how are you going to find this <laughs> McFarling guy? You dash out of your room and run downstairs as fast as you can. You rush back into the kitchen. Grandma! You gasp, almost out of breath. Do you know someone named McFarling? Oh, don't go talking to me about Mac McFarling. She says. That loon, he came around here last month. Told me he thought my house would be haunted soon. Said something about a curse, too. Can you imagine that? I don't want you going anywhere near that man. Uh, let's face it. Granny's not going to be much help. Uh, so you race to the computer. On a hunch, you search for ghost exterminators. Uh, Bingo. There he is. <laughs> what? Where's the other? There's an end quote and not an open Where's quote. Where's the open quote? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. This whole book reps. <laughs> this, you even see, you were supposed to say the whole book. It, all of this has been a quote by Mac McFarling. Exactly. Bingo, there he is. End quote. No beginning quote. Oh my god. This is... This is new. Uh, Mac McFarling. Ghost hunter. There may be hope after all. As long as you can get out of the house before Elvira finds out what you're doing. Shh. Tiptoe out the door on page 33. Luckily, everything in your grandma's small town is in, within biking distance. 20 minutes later, you biked over to Mac McFarling's office, which happens to be located in his garage. You knock on the side door of the garage. Come in. A voice calls. You yank open the door. Wow, you think when you see him. Mac McFarling has a frizzy, kinky blonde hair sticking out all over his head. He's wearing six earrings, a nose ring, a pair of heavy black frame glasses with blue lenses in them. He's about 20 years old. So that's why your grandma didn't like him. He's cool. What's Ooh. up? McFarling asks. You look like you've seen a ghost. He laughs. <laughs> Sorry, just a little ghost hunting humor. You explain about Elvira and that she told you that ghosts are going to take over your grandmother's house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been expecting this. McFarling says, shaking his head. I tried to warn your grandmother. C can you help us? You plead. His eyes are hidden behind the blue lenses. He can't tell what he's thinking. Will Mac McFarling help you find out on page 37? I have to say, having heard the name Mac McFarling, I was really hoping we were going to go with a Scott that, like, frizzy kinky blonde hair, six earrings, 20 years old, is cool. I mean... What are you be. saying? <laughs> is cool? How dare. Is cool? Is cool as hell. Uh, why does that mean he can't be Scottish? Damn it, you're right. Mm. I apologize. I don't know how to do a Scottish and cool at the same time. I can either do cool or Scottish. 
<laughs> just see you see you look in front of you and it's just a dial uh, to the left is cool to the right it's scottish <laughs> you've been trying to oh gosh i can't do this one can't do this one yeah i'll go cool suddenly mcfarling swings into gear he picks up a strange electronics box electronic box and heads for the door come on he says we've got a hurry let's go Finally, someone who can help you. You feel better already. McFarlane jumps into his... What do you mean, finally? This just happened. Mm-hmm. Like, what the, this is the <laughs> quickest call to adventure and, like, you know, potential help response that we've had in the entire book series. And this greedy yeah. son of a gun is like, I've had a ghost in my house for 15 minutes. Finally, an answer. Like... Uh-huh. I don't know. Finally, an answer which the ghosts themselves mentioned yes. to me. This easily could have just been one page. I'm in danger. <laughs> yeah, pretty now much. Now, ghost hunter. Uh, McFarling jumps into jumps into his car, an old VW Bug. You hop on your bike as you ride down to your grandmother's house. He drives along beside you. He rolls down the window and talks to you the whole time. <laughs> Sorry, dude. I got a bunch of really important documents in the back seat. I really can't make space. But those gravestones, have they been moving around? He asks. Yes! You exclaim. So you're not crazy. Why are they doing that? I'm not sure, dude. I've only seen it once before. But I think they're moving into position to spell out some sort of message or curse. Braves can spell? That doesn't sound possible. But you're ready to believe anything now. How can we stop them? You ask Mac. It won't be easy. He tells you. You were afraid of that. Turn to page 45. Ah, oh, work! No! <laughs> Finally! Oh my yes. goodness. So 45? First. Wait. Yeah, okay, 45. Yeah, 45, we have to go. First, McFarling explains, You'll have to fight the Keeper of the Sword. That's one of the ghosts. You'll need to get the special sword and use it to stop the MPG. <laughs> What's the MPG? You ask. The most powerful ghost. Oh my god. <laughs> that is so much less exciting than I thought it would be. It's so good. I love it so much. I love it. It's both it's both so much better and so much less exciting at the same time. Oh my god. We're not even done explaining the term though. It gets defined. It's a term for a spirit who has control over a graveyard. Oh. Once you have the sword, you Mac must continues. plunge it into the grave of the MPG. But you've got to hurry. Because when all the graves have moved into position to spell out the message, it'll be too late. The curse will be complete. And after that, you'll never be able to get the ghosts back into their grave. Your head is spinning from what Mac just told you, but you nod as if you understand, Mood. You've arrived at your grandmother's house. McFarling stops his car and hops out. You get off your bike and park it. McFarling faces your grandmother's house and switches on the funky electronic box he's carrying. Red dials light up. Then you hear a loud beeping sound. Uh-oh. McFarling says. Major trouble. Give me a dollar, dude. 
If you give McFarlane a dollar, turn to page 57. If you refuse, turn to page 74. This is the cheapest ghost hunter we've ever hired. Yeah. I I feel like it's maybe some kind of ritual thing or like a uh, legally mm -hmm. give me a dollar then I can represent you in court. You know, yeah, like exactly. <laughs> is he gonna is he gonna represent ghost, us? Is he gonna be my lawyer? A client protection exactly only really covers you if you pay me. Exactly. So are we, are we gonna give him a buck? I, I think we have to. I'm not a cheapskate. Also, it's fake money. I don't care. I don't. It's not my dollar. Yeah. <laughs> you reluctantly hand McFarling a dollar bill. He folds it in half twice. Then he jams it into a tiny slot of his electronic box. A minute later, the beeping stops. The box spits the dollar back out. Thanks, Whoa. dude. McFarling says. The spirit counter was jammed. Uh, he gives a do the dollar back to you. Weird, you think, but it seems to have worked. Then McFarling stares at the red dials on his machine. Bad news, kid. McFarling says finally. By my count, there are 10 ghosts in the house nearby. That's way over my limit. You're on your own. <laughs> he's, he's, he starts back towards his car. Wait! You call after him. You can't leave me here. Please, you've got to help me. McFarling he hesitates for a minute, then he shrugs. Okay. <laughs> he says, <laughs> what the hell? This <laughs> conflict, uh, conflict and resolution come very quickly in this. I know. This is what I'm willing to do. I'll help you make a grab, a grab of the graveyard, a map of the graveyard. Come on. A map of, sorry, a grab of the graveyard. What for you wonder? But you don't ask questions. You just follow Mac into the cemetery and do what he tells you. An hour later, you've got a drawing of the first four rows of gravestones. To see the map, turn to page 127. Oh, it, <gasps> pictures. Um, okay. Podcast medium. Let us explain. It's a picture. All right, next. <laughs> mm -hmm. It is a picture. Uh, we are looking at the, the graveyard itself. On the far distance is Grandma's house. On the near distance is just a sign that says the rest of the graveyard. There's four different rows of tombstones here each with names across. They may become important later. I don't well, necessarily know if we need to read through I mean, each individually, I've... but one of them is called Archibald Swope. That is true. I will say if you look at the last names of them, it spells you will die soon. Mm, okay, okay, well done, well done. Young Owen Unger, Wong Ives, etc., etc. You will die soon. And also, if you look at the first names, it says Rutp, Bej, Miganker. Mm, I think e equally as important. <laughs> equally Obviously, as Rachel important. Thomas, Patrick, etc. for Rut Bej Miganka. Yes. Um, I will. One thing we will note here, possibly though, is uh, die is D I, yes. not D I E. It is the only incomplete word on there. That's true. I did. It. It might just be like dig. You will dig yeah. soon. You will dine soon. You will dip mm -hmm. soon if you, uh, you know, get like a seven-layer dip or something. It, they might even add the E and then have you will die soon and then do diet and then the, uh, you know, the Simpsons reveal. Yeah, could be. Uh, 
I think we Let's should probably see. head over to 65 and see what this is useful for. I just look at what else. John and Jane Luckmeyer. Uh, mm-hmm. Chester Ottoman. Archib- yeah, I mean, Archibald Swope is definitely the best name here. That you, Absolutely. It's the best one you need to know. That's just his voice. You stare down. He comes back to life. You stare down the map of the gravestones in your hands. You wonder how it could possibly help. Big trouble. Max says, peering out over your shoulder. The message is almost already completely spelled out, dude. (laughs) What message? You ask, puzzled. Look at these first four rows. He says, pointing at the paper. The rest of the graves don't matter. That's why I didn't put them on the map. Take a pen and circle the first and last name on each tombstone. It spells out a message, don't you see? No, you don't see, and you won't see until you do it. So do it. Turn to page 127. Circle the first letter of the last name. It will spell out a message or part of one. Uh, book. You will de plot hole. I am a genius. <laughs> mm-hmm. Plot hole. All right. Well, I mean, I guess I will go back to 127 and mentally circle these. All right. Mm-hmm. Great. Okay. Back to 65. When you discover the message, you will de soon. They have been moving. Oh shoot! It says beige. Megan, that translates to you will d soon, so we're all good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, oh no! You gasp. You stare at the map and the message spelled out on the gravestones. You will d soon. Oh, so that's the terrible message the graves are trying to spell. And is the you you, or is the curse directed at your grandma? Either way, it's bad news. Mac, there's only one that are missing. Only one more coffin has to creep into place, and then... Then the curse will be complete, dude. Max says. He turns and walks back to his car. Uh, Wait! You call after him. He stops, but only long enough to pull out a business card. Here, call me after you defeat the Keeper of the Sword. (laughs) Then, I'll tell you what to do next. Then he jumps back into his VW Bug, his Volkswagen Bug... It's a very wise bug leaving you standing in front of your grandmother's house. Oh. He calls as he starts to drive off. Two things to remember. Be sure to find out the name of the Keeper of the Sword and stay away from the Luckmeyer twins. The Luckmeyer twins, you think? If you've met them already, turn to page 8. If you haven't, turn to page 64. Uh, I guess running home might have given us the ability to meet them, but no, we haven't. uh, Yeah, I mean, we have... I don't want to lie. We've seen their graves, at least. I mean, maybe... Maybe it's like, if we go... If we hear about them, we'll be prepared if we see... uh, Who knows? Uh, Keep away from the Luckmire twins. That should be easy. No problem. We haven't seen them yet, so hey. Twins are pretty... Also, twins are pretty easy to spot. Hey. Then it hits you. Do they always stick together? Are they guys or girls? How old are they? There's no way to know. Mm. Maybe this will be more difficult than you thought. You slink into your grandmother's house. You feel creepy knowing the place is loaded with ghosts. And how are you going to find the keeper of the sword? You don't have a clue. Your head swims as you wander up to the second floor. Bam! Door bangs open. Nearly hits you on the head. 
You jump back and peer into the hall closet. Don't go in there, a voice behind you warns. You whirl around and see a ghost, a teenager from another time. He's dressed in old black fashioned velvet suit with a frilly white shirt. His hair is slicked back and combed neatly behind his ears. He's smiling, but it's a sneaky smile. Should you listen to him? If you stay out of the closet, turn to page 12. If you want to see what's in the closet, turn to page 26. Now, uh, just the, the last time that a ghost told us not to do something, we found the only helpful uh, source of knowledge that we have encountered so far here. That or they're in cahoots and they want our dollar. Mm -hmm. I see. A long con to get our absolute buck. Dollar, yep. Our greenback. I see. Um, hmm. hmm. I'm, I'm fine with either of these options, to be frank. I don't know what time he's from with the black velvet suit and frilly white shirt. Are we now talking like 1800s kind of teenager? Because that's the wrong voice for them. We'll see. Uh, 1996. <laughs> Another time, he's from Tuesday. <laughs> Doesn't say it's, it's just cosplay. He's from twelve a.m. He's from he's from twelve a.m. He just this is just kind of his look. He's uh you know he's just vibing. I don't know all that against him. Nothing he's wrong vibing. with it. nothing wrong with it. He's just um, vibing. Is it a crime to vibe as a ghost? Honestly, there's nothing else to do. Yeah. Vibe all you want. If you stay out of the closet, turn to 12. If you see what's in the closet, go to 26. What do you think? Uh, I... Does he, he said don't go in there. Let's just, let's listen to him. I want to, again, out. I like your, your argument of we have not been proven, you know, it's not been proven that ghosts are, like, inherently malicious yet. So, uh, okay. You decide to trust this guy. He's... Come on. He's a little weird looking, but he seems harmless, even if he is a ghost. I'm John. The boy says. You've got to get away from here. The closet's filled with horrible spirits. Quick, close the door and hide in the basement. You do as he says, slamming the closet door hard. Goosebumps loves to add hard on the end of every sentence. It just mm -hmm. loves it. It just every book at least twice so far. Slamming they the closet door that word hard. On. Yeah. Uh, then you run down the stairs to the kitchen. Hard. Then into the basement. <laughs> Why down here, you wonder? As you look around the damp, grungy old basement beneath your grandmother's house. You've never liked this place. It's cold, it's dark, but even worse are the big, ugly crickets. They've got, uh, they get in from the outside through cracks in the basement walls. Then they hop all over the basement. You hate them. <laughs> uh, how come we have to hide down here? You ask. That's when you realize that John isn't with you. John? You call. Bam! You whirl around and see the basement door slam shut. Click and lock. The ghost has locked you in. Turn to page 20. Well, John. <sighs> how dare he. Help! You cry. Let me out! You turn to see if there's another way out of the basement. 
Gross. Those disgusting crickets are hopping everywhere. There must be hundreds of them. The chirping is enough to make you crazy. They hop from win the windowsills. They jump up and down the stairs. They pounce from the sink to the floor. From floor to the chair. Jump, jump, jump. <laughs> One lands on your head. Ugh. You scream. You swipe at your head. Get off of me. More greenish-brown crickets hop around your feet. You bang on the basement door. Let me out of here! <laughs> you hear John snickering on the other side. What a creep, you think. Then it dawns on you. Hey, John. You call through the door. What's your last name? Luckmire. Well, the ghost answers, figures... Uh, Mac McFarling was right. Uh-oh. John Luckmeyer mumbles on the other side of the basement door. Here comes trouble. What now? You've had enough trouble already in the form of a teenage ghoul. Turn to page 68. Ick! Another cricket plops on your head. Let me out! You yell again, pounding on the door. Immediately the door swings open. Uh-oh. The ghost was right. The trouble has arrived in a big way. It's your grandma and she's steaming mad. What in heaven's name are you up to? Your grandmother scolds. You glance past her into the kitchen and see what she means. The whole place is a mess. Flowers scattered all over the floor. Pots and pans are stacked on the chairs and tables. Every single item that was in the refrigerator is sitting on the kitchen counter. What on earth have you done? Your grandmother demands, pointing at the huge mess. Behind her back, what is she demanding? That's a question. Mm. Mm. Behind her back, you see the ghostly John Luckmeyer with a big grin plastered across his smirking face. Quick, what are you going to tell her? Make up a story on 71 or tell her the truth on page 112. Um... So she, in uh, this situation, she's still not seen a ghost. It is she's still not seen a ghost, but she has had a ghost hunter come to the house earlier and say, "Hey, I think ghosts." That's true. Is she convincible? I don't know. I mean, I'm willing to try, unless you want to do some Let's lies. Try and tell the truth. Let's try that first, and then when it doesn't work, we'll go back. You decide to tell your grandmother the truth. Wait a minute, are you kidding? You're going to tell the grand your grandmother that her house is haunted? That the big mess in the kitchen was a ghoulish prank? That there's so many ghosts around the Mac McFarland professional ghost hunter wouldn't take the case? You're going to tell her all of that? Oh, really? Well, just try it. Go tell your parents or your grandparents the same story. See if they believe you. Ha! When they get done laughing, you can start reading again on page 71 and try to learn a little lesson from this. You should always try and tell the truth, but sometimes when the truth is too unbelievable to tell, like anytime ghosts are involved, that's when you have to be a little creative. You idiot. Turn to page 71. <laughs> what Absolutely the hell? owned by the book. This um, is... Uh, I was trying to make dinner for you, Grandma? You say... If you told the truth, uh, you... Okay, if you told the truth, she would think you're lying. Then you'd be in even bigger trouble. Oh, well... Your grandmother's face begins to soften. Then John Luckmeyer floats over you, over to you. Before you realize what he's doing, John picks up one of your grandmother's best china teacups. He knocks it to the floor right by your hand. 
The teacup lands with a horrible crash. Oh no. You start to open your mouth to explain, but then another ghost appears on the other side of you. This one's a girl. She's wearing an old-fashioned long linen white dress. Linen white dress. Her hair is braided, and the braids are wrapped around her head three times. Wow. <laughs> Hello. She says with a snicker. I'm Jane Luckmeyer. Great, you think. Another one. Trapped between the Luckmeyer twins. She picks up the china saucer that goes with the teacup John just smashed. Then she tosses it like a frisbee across the room. Somehow she makes it look as looks as if you threw it. The saucer crash lands at your grandmother's feet. That's it? Your grandmother says. Go to your room. Turn to page 124. You hurry into the hall and start up the stairs towards your room, but something stops you. A terrible chill in the air, a cold so cold you feel as if it will freeze your blooded bones. An instant later, thirteen howling ghosts appear and they float over the out of the walls and come towards you. They're all shapes and sizes, but have one thing in common. They're all terrifying. No! You want to cry! This can't be happening! Ghosts? This is news! Your knees shake so much you almost fall down, but somehow you manage to run. Ghostly arms reach for you as you race out to the front door into the front yard where the sky is growing dark. For the next ten minutes, you huddle under a big tree trying to think. Mostly, you just think of one thing. Get me out of here! But, in without quotations, but you know you can't go home. Your parents are away on vacation. Besides, you can't leave your grandmother here all alone, not with those creeping coffins. Which means you're going to have to go back into the house. You've got to get rid of the ghosts. You gotta find that keeper of the sword before it's too late. Turn to page 102. Using the back door, you quietly slip into the house. Then you sneak sneak up the back staircase to the second floor. Peek around the corner carefully. You don't want to run into the Luckmeyers. When you're sure the coast is clear, you start up the stairs towards the attic. As soon as you step into the stairway, you see a huge soldier standing at the top of the third floor landing. His uniform is old-fashioned. Civil War, you guess. And judging from the medals pinned to his gray jacket, the guy knows what he's doing. <laughs> and that's what, and what he's doing right now is pulling a sword from its holder. The sword is about five feet long. The handle is mother of pearl encrusted with sapphires. The blade gleams. Even in the darkness, you can see that it is dangerously sharp. The enormous soldier points the sword at your heart. Do not advance one more step. Unless you're willing to die. He booms. Turn to page 104. You can't take your eyes off the sword. The longer you stare at it, the more your legs shake. Then it dawns on you. The soldier must be the keeper of the sword. So what are you going to do? Run and hide? Definitely. Trembling in fear, you start to back up. That's when you're sh you feel a sharp point sticking you in the back. Right between your shoulder blades. Ow! You cry out, turning around. Big trouble. Behind you is another ghost, and this one's dressed in a fencing costume. White canvas pants, a wire mesh mask, leather gloves. On guard! The new ghost says. The voice echoes all around you. From the voice, you know this ghost is a woman. Then you realize something. She has a sword, too! Two ghosts, two swords, both dangerous! But only one has the sword you need. Which one? Oh, man. I would imagine... If it is something that needs to pierce the ground, 
a fencing sword is less likely to do so. But I don't know if this book is, cares. Is it less likely to do so? Is it less Surely, likely like to do so? a fencing sword being quite sharp would be... I guess so. Immediately sticking into the ground. I guess I th think of um, it as a very bendy sword that wouldn't mm, do well against dirt. But maybe. Yeah, you, won't, you wouldn't want to hack at the ground with it, but just like a simple pierce, I think it'd do quite well. Um, I don't know. I almost feel like uh, like it's going to be neither of them and it doesn't really matter. I honestly, I had that thought too so uh do you want to go with the fencer or the soldier i'm happy with either it's all good i uh, let's let's give, let's give a crack at the the fencer it feels it feels interesting to me i feel like it seems from the media i have consumed that have a typical mythical sword it feels like it's not mm -hmm. usually a fencing sword like whether or not like and i kind of want it to be so for that reason i'm yeah. in yeah, this is this is like the the Indiana Jones uh, ending is Temple of Doom, where like the the uh, the cup. No, it's got to be Grail then, right? The the uh, cup turns out to be the most modest one in the area, rather than all of the fancy goblets and such. Yeah. So, please, book. You decide to duel with the woman in the fencing costume. She's not as big as the soldier. On guard yourself. You <laughs> you cry. You notice that as soon as you shouted at the woman, the soldier ghost vanished. The fencer glides towards you, approaching slowly. You feel around desperately for something you can use as a weapon. The whole time, you keep your eyes glued at the sharp tip of her sword, or rather her foil. That's what a fencing sword is called. The fencer keeps coming towards you, slowly, slowly. Beads of sweat break out along your upper lip. Hard. The tip of the foil wavers <laughs> slightly as, as if the fencer were deciding on the perfect spot to stab you. Finally, your fingers grasp something leaning against the wall. An umbrella, it's not much, but it'll have to do. You grab it and strike a fencing pose. Uh, on guard! You shout again. The fencer freezes, her foil raised. Then in a flash, she lunges at you. Quick, find out if you're still alive on page 122. I like the idea we hit 122 and it just says, nope, the end. <laughs> no, you're dead. Go back. The tip of the blade slices... What? The tip of the blade slices right through your neck. Okay, you can open your eyes now. Good news, you're still alive and you never felt a thing. You know why? The fencer's a ghost. She's not solid, she's airy, see-through, and so is her weapon. You pick up your umbrella and slice back. You lunge forward, poking your umbrella right between her ribs. But your umbrella has the same effect on her that her foil has on you. None. There's no point in keeping up this duel. Neither of you can win. You put down the umbrella. Are you the keeper of the sword? You ask her. Yes. <laughs> well, dang, she says. She reaches up and pulls off her mask. You gasp as your stomach <gasps> turns over. She doesn't have a face because she doesn't have a head. Yes, this is the sword you need. She tells you. You wonder where her voice is coming from. And I will give it to you. If you can't find my head. Is she kidding? What are the chances? Maybe you should just try and grab the sword. If you grab the sword, turn to page 21. If you look for her head, turn to page 62. I mean, I'd like to help. But yeah, I th I think I think we can help this one. I I like I always like doing the nice thing, and then the book tells me go, no, go back. What were you thinking? Because mm -hmm. then I get to at least have moral high ground over the book. 
Yep. She did only just try to kill us about, you know, 30 seconds ago. Bygones be bygones. I mean, like, she probably knew that it wasn't going to work. And we oh, tried so to kill her. She was just us a big spook then. And okay. after we knew she couldn't hurt us, we tried to kill her. So you know, yeah, you know tec- what? Fair. Turn tec- fair play. Technically, she's was in that situation, like defenseless. In if it worked out how oh we, God. if we, <laughs> if we had it work out the way we were intending, we would have, you know, potentially killed someone who was unarmed, more or less. To, so to her, we were a competitor. Yes. To us, she was a victim at that point. That's exactly. a problem. Exactly. That's what I'm saying is, honestly, we should really be doing something nice. So, 62. Right, let's do it. Okay, I'll find your head. Wait here. But where should you look? You dash up the... Why, why would we not ask? Wait. You dash up the stairs to the attic. It's the only room you haven't been in since you arrived. And you definitely would have noticed a head if you hadn't seen one. If you had seen one. You rummage around in the attic. You search through everything. Twice. Trunks of old clothes, old furniture, golf clubs. No ghost head. You glance around at the dusty room. Think. There may not be much time left. If I were a ghost head, where would I be? You ask yourself. You suddenly spot a large moose head sitting on the floor by a broken chair. You kneel down to examine the moth-eaten moose head. Up close, it looks even worse. The antlers are cracked and one eye is missing. It's filthy and has a musty odor. It's not even human, but what choice do you have? It's the only head here. Besides, you're in a big hurry. You've got to get to the, get the sword before the coffins creep again. You grab the moose head and race downstairs. You only hope the keeper of the sword won't be furious when she sees the head you brought her. Cross your fingers for luck and turn to page 80. I found the head! You call out when you reach the landing. You clutch the moose nervously and you peer into the darkness, trying to find the headless ghost. The woman's body materializes on the steps below you. Good, her voice says. You still can't figure out how she can talk. Just sit it down right there, on the stairs. Really, you think? This is gonna work? Maybe the ghost hasn't seen the moose head yet? What will she do when she discovers what you've done? Trembling, you set the moose head down at the bottom step and you hold your breath. For a moment, nothing happens. Then the moose head begins to shake. At first, it just rocks back and forth a little, but soon it starts to vibrate wildly. The moose head begins to glow as if there were a light inside it. Then a ghostly woman's face appears inside the moose head. What? You can't believe it, but there it is. The face of a beautiful young woman trapped within the dusty old moose head. Wow, you did it. You actually found her head. What? Yep. It was, That's where it was. It was in the moose head. Turn to page 51. What the hell? (laughs) You stare at the glowing ghostly face. Your mouth drops open as the face rises out of the moose head. The woman's face floats up and hangs in midair right in front of you. Thank you. (laughs) The head says. You have released me from my trap. (laughs) Her eyes are large and bright blue. Her ruby lips shimmer in the darkness. Her long black hair hangs down, falling below her neck. Her neck? You glance at it and try not to scream. Torn flesh dangles from the bottom of her neck. Blood drips from the ragged edges. Suddenly you realize what you're seeing. It looks as if her head has been chopped off. Try not to faint on page 41. Your stomach turns at the sight of her bloody neck. Then you notice the ghost's body is still hovering below you. 
It floats up the steps and somehow attaches it to her head. Ah, thank you. She says once she's in one piece. She hands you her foil. I am the keeper of the sword. Take this and use it as you will. Now I must return to my grave. You must, uh, you remember Mac McFarling's instructions. Oh, wait! You call. What's your name? Sarah. <laughs> she whispers as her form fades away. And she's gone. You run to the phone and dial Mac, Far wait, Mac McFarling's number. When he answers, you tell him you got the sword. Good. McFarling says. Listen carefully. Find her grave in the graveyard. Write down the year of her death. It's a special number. You'll need it. Then, plunge her sword into the grave of the MPG. That's the only way to keep the graves from spelling out the curse, my dude. But how do I find the MPG? You ask. Oops. McFarling says. Call waiting. <laughs> gotta go, guy. Uh, he's, it's gotta be him. It's gotta be him. He's just mm -hmm. playing so like hard to get. Uh, he hangs mm -hmm. up. Call waiting, you think? What a liar. He just doesn't know how to help you find the MPG. Now what? Uh, if you go to the graveyard, page 96, if you think the MPG will come to you, turn to page 125. Uh, mm. I... Interesting. I mean, we do need the number. Do we? Wait. It's I mean, Mac right just says we'll need the number. Write down the year of her death. It's a special number. You'll need it. Plunge the sword in the grave of the MPG. I mean, that's true. I wonder, is he effectively just instructing us to finish the ritual? Could be. I mean, I'm fine to do either. I, I, mean, I, I kind of want to go to the graveyard literally yeah. just to see if like any more graves have moved. That's the thing. I'm, curi I'm curious to get more info, maybe get these numbers, because I'm thinking that we might get like a, um, you know, what you know, in the future would be like, what number is this? Go to page this if you know, or like, you know, mm -hmm. if you got the right. That's my thought. You race out to the graveyard. You've got to find the fencing woman's grave fast. Then it hits you. You only know her first name. Sarah. Sarah who? You run up and down the rows of trombones, searching for a grave marked Sarah. Naturally, you find two. One is Sarah Grayson, born in 1820, died in 1895. The other is Sarah McGinnis, born in 1918, died in 1940. It's up to you. Which is the right Sarah? Think very carefully, then pick one. You balance the sword under one arm and feel around in your pockets. You pull a broken pencil from your jeans, glance down to find a crumpled gum wrapper on the ground, and you grab it, and with shaking fingers, you write the year of Sarah's death and hope you chose correctly. Have you written down the date of Sarah's death? Good, because something terrifying is happening behind you. You really don't want to keep your back turned, so put down your pencil and turn to page 114 if you dare. Huh. Um. Oh, no. I, Which of them was the Sarah? It says think very carefully. Think very carefully. Almost implying uh, that there's I like mean, a reason to pick one over I, the other. I think one of them might be that Sarah Grayson died at 75 years old, 1820 to 1895, whereas Sarah McGuinness 
died uh, at only 22 years old, 1918 to 1940. And we did see a young woman's face after uh, uh, giving them back the ghost head. So this is like, is the ghost lore of this universe that you are kept in your most immaculate state or your death state? I would right? say like, it's the best lead we have. Hmm. I like it. I, I want to go with McGinnis. I think it's McGinnis. So yeah, that's 1940 like that we would be writing down. Yeah, I'm writing down over on the right, uh, over on the other side here. Okay. 114. You don't like the prickly feeling in the back of your neck. You turn around slowly and gasp. The coffins have moved again. You can tell because you've wandered to the front of the graveyard. You're standing by the first row. The row that spelled out you in the curse. The row that used to only have three tombstones. But now the front row is crowded with graves. Seven of them. Four more coffins have creeped into place. You glance towards the back of the graveyard and notice the new empty spots. It's true. The tombstones, they're spelling again. Your heart pounds as you run along the row, reading the four new names, trying to see what the new initials will spell out. Bannister, Oswald, Thackeray, Hamilton. Both. Oh no, the, now the message reads, you both will de soon. Quick, hurry to page 31. Your throat tightens in terror. Your heart pounds wildly. Both you and your grandmother are cursed now. Or is it... I mean, it might be... Whatever. Your granny can't even see the ghosts. She won't be able to save herself, so it's all up to you. You grip the sword so hard your hand cramps. You've got to stop the coffins from moving again, and you've got to do it now. Before the final coffin moves into place and the curse is complete. But who? Who is the MPG most powerful ghost? One more letter, you mutter. Only one more letter is needed to spell out the message. The last letter in the word die, the letter E. Then it hits you. The most powerful ghost must be someone whose last name starts with E. That's it. You may live after all. You run through the graveyard looking at the tombstones, you searching for the E's. You find three. Melvin Estep, Melvin Estep II, and Brandon Estep. Which one is the MPG? You could guess, or you could go into the house and ask Alvira for help. Uh, I mean, it's weird for us to have to note down 1940 and then just guess afterwards. Uh, also, Elvira's first name has an E, but her second name was something else. That is I don't true. Think it was e -E. I mean, do we know Elvira's her first name? We know Elvira's her first name, right? Okay. Uh, she she said, El, or our grandmother called her Elmira something, and then she turned up and said, Elvira, you could never get it right. Yes. Yeah. Well, we can ask. Um, yeah, I think we should ask her for help. I think it's better than taking a guess here. Alrighty. You decide to play it safe by asking Elvira for help. You turn and race into the house. Your grandmother is watching TV in the den. You dash past her. Doesn't even look up from her program. The eerie light from the television is the only light in the whole house. You hurry up the stairs into your room. You gotta find the MPG and there's only one person or ghost who might be able to help you. You flip on a light in your small guest bedroom. A piercing shriek scatters the night. Now what? Cover your ears and turn to page 15. Turn off that stupid light. Elvira screams. I'm trying to get some sleep. Sorry. You quickly flick off the light, but
but you don't have any trouble seeing Elvira because she glows in the dark. I have to ask you something. You tell her, but she pulls the pillow over her face. This isn't going to be easy. She's one sleepy ghost. Then you have an idea. You flick on the light again. Elvira sits straight up and lets out a piercing wail. Uh, Elvira, you I'll say. turn off the light if you answer one teeny tiny question. Then you can sleep all as long as you want. I promise. Her eyes begin to glow green again, but she looks very sleepy. Maybe she'll be too tired to hurt you. Who's the most powerful ghost in the graveyard? You blurt out. Elvira blinks a bit. Hmm, I'd say it's Melvin Estep's boy. He does tend to rule us with an iron hand. The Estep boy? You mutter. But there are two of them, Melvin the second and Brandon. Which one? But Elvira doesn't answer. She's fast asleep. And you promised you wouldn't wake her up again. You always keep a promise. Hurry to page 43. But Melvin Estep's boy, Melvin... Melvin and oh Melvin the second and Frank. Okay, okay, mm. never mind. I thought it was between Melvin and Melvin the second. I was like, gee, I wonder. Uh, but <laughs> then, uh, never mind. <laughs> Sorry, uh, they're actually doing a uh, a zero ranked system. So they have oh. Melvin Estep the zero, then Melvin Estep one, then Melvin Estep two. Exactly, so. exactly, exactly. You always keep a promise. Her to page forty three. All right. You turn and run out of the room, leaving Elvira snoring peacefully in your bed. You head back to the graveyard. You're going to have to take a chance on one of the Estep boys, and fast, before the graves move again. Only one letter left before the curse is complete. That's what's keeping what keeps going through your head. When you reach the graveyard, you're almost out of breath from running up and down the stairs so many times, but the sight, greets you near, wait, the sight that greets you nearly takes your breath away completely. You think you might faint. The graveyard is filled with ghosts, horrible ghosts. One of them, an old man with long stringy hair, carrying an axe. A woman sobs, a head without a body passes, then a body without a head. Each ghost is worse than the last. Then you remember fence, the fencing foil in your hands. You raise the sword to fend them off. It works. They all float around the graveyard, but they didn't come near you. You run straight for the Estep graves. But which one? Melvin the Second or Brandon? You've got to choose. Uh... Oof. I mean, is it? I, I mean, is it just Melvin the second, or I don't know. Or mm. is that too e easy? Like, wait, did it say Melvin Estep's boy? Yeah, it said Melvin Estep's boy. So it could be Melvin Estep, the father of Melvin Estep the second, as well as Brandon Estep, or it could be Brandon Estep, the son of Melvin Estep the second. Like, Brandon uh, Estep could be the son of either of the Melvins and still be the yeah. son of Melvin Estep, you know? Process of deduction. It seems like we have slightly more lead to say Brandon then. Mm -hmm. And then if they ask if we want to change... Yeah, we're just 27. Nice and easy. Yeah, it's the Melvin Hall problem. Yes, ex <laughs> exactly. Uh, turn page 47. You cross your fingers and decide to take a chance on Brendan Estep. You run over to his tombstone and stand in front of it. You hold the sword in both hands like a dagger, and with the point down, your hands tremble so much that you're afraid you'll drop the sword. You tighten your grip and you take a deep breath. Then you raise the sword above Brandon's grave and prepare it to plunge into the ground, but something stops you. What happened? Find right out on page 36. You hear a booming crack. 
In the next instance, the ghost of Brandon Estep rises from his grave. Is he the MPG? Have you chosen to, the right Estep? You peer at Brandon as he floats towards you. He's a young guy wearing a black leather motorcycle jacket with heavy metal spikes and chains and a metal hand. A metal hand? A chill of terror runs through you. This must be him. The most powerful ghost. The ghost with the iron hand. You raise the foil again. Yeah, with an iron fist. Yep. You raise the foil again, but the ghost lunges at you and grabs your arm with his iron hand. Your arm freezes. You can't move. For a moment, you panic. Then you remember what McFarling told you. The date of Sarah's death. It's magic somehow. Did you write it down like McFarling told you? Good. Then find the date and add up all four digits of the year. What's the new number? Well, that's your next page number. Turn to that page. Don't remember the date? Turn to page 96. Oh, my. Neat. So that's 14194. Great. Uh, wait. Oh, shoot. 20, mm -hmm. 24. Sorry, the the way this is laid out. Sorry, is... it's 14. Oh, 14? Yeah, it's 14. Did I say 24? My bad. Wait, add them one, to... 1, 9, and 4. Oh, wait. Yeah. Yeah, oops. I was looking at the wrong one. Okay. 24. It's 14 still. God dang it. <laughs> it's 24? It's, uh... Yeah, minus 10. All right, so here's 24. Congratulations, you picked the right Sarah, Sarah McGinnis. Born in 1918, died in 1940, the age of 22. You knew she'd be the right one because the fencing ghost was a young beauty. Well, mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So she must have died young. The other Sarah in the graveyard lived to be 75 years old. Very clever of you to figure it out. You're going, Raps. Suddenly you hear her voice. It fills your ears. I am the keeper of the sword. She calls to you from her grave. Let my foil do the work. Let go. Let go? Weird, you think, but you do it. As soon as the foil leaves your hand, it floats in midair. Then it plunges itself deeply into the earth, into Brandon Estep's grave. <laughs> the ghost cries. His shimmering body begins to fade and then disappears back into the earth. Your eyes open wide and your mouth drops open as you gaze into an amazing sight. The coffins are creeping again back to their original positions. You did it. The curse has been defeated. But there's only one problem. Brandon's ghostly body is gone, but his iron fist is still clutching your arm. Turn to page 86. McFarling never told you what to do about an iron... Sorry, turn to page 24. Uh, McFarling never told you what to do about an iron hand. Help! You scream. But who can help you in a graveyard? You try to yank the metal hand off your arm, but you can't do it. Its grip is too strong. Help! You cry again. But your scream dies in your throat. You're too terrified to make a sound because the hand is moving. The iron fist creeps along your arm. It clutches your flesh so hard you can already feel the bruises. The glinting metal hand travels up and down, up to your throat. Horrified, you watch helplessly as the iron fingers open with a clanking sound and then snap around your neck. It's strangling you. You've got to do something fast. Turn to page 24. The metal hand clutching your throat is squeezing the life out of you. You don't have much time left. Then you see it, the sword. It has lifted itself out of the ground and it's once again floating in midair. The sword helped before. Maybe it can help you again. Stretching your arm as far as you can, you reach for the sword. 
Nearly you topple over, but you manage to grab the handle. Now that you have the sword, you're not sure what to do with it. But you have to do something. The fingers are tightening and tightening. You've got to get something... Wait, you've got to get some space between your throat and the metal fingers. You swing the sword up to your neck, trying to avoid slicing your own throat. You jostle and jiggle the sword through the fingers of the metal hand. Finally, the blade pokes up through the iron fist. The tip is just under your nose. The sword is jammed between your skin and the cold metal of Brandon Estep's hand. The iron hand releases your throat, the sword, and the hand clatter to the ground. It's over. Well, maybe not. The moment the sword hits the dirt, you hear a sound, an almost deafening sound. Hold your ears and turn to page 131. Bong, bong, bong. What is that? Some kind of clock tower? Bong, 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 bong. The chimes strike 12 times. At exactly midnight, the iron hand and the sword vanish and your grandmother appears in the doorway of her house. Why, listen to that, she exclaims. It's the clock tower in the church. That clock hasn't chimed in years. Really? You say, your eyes growing wide. Your grandmother nods. Not since Brandon Estep died. He crashed his motorcycle into the graveyard. <laughs> Wild boy, but he loved that clock tower. He helped his father build it. So, of course, everyone said Brandon haunted this place, and that's why the clock wouldn't chime. Of course, that's a load of nonsense. Nonsense? No way you think. They tried to fix the clock a million times. Your grandmother goes on. But it never worked. I wonder why it started chiming now. I'm pretty sure you know the answer to that. Turn to page 120. I guess Brandon's ghost is finally at rest. You say? You gaze around you gaze around you and see that the tombstones are all back where they belong. In fact, the whole graveyard looks kind of sleepy and peaceful. Oh, don't be a goose. Your grandmother scolds. There are no ghosts. Next you'll be telling me the ghost of Elmira Martin's taking a nap in your room. Elvira, you've forgotten about her. But you figure when the other ghosts return to the graves, Elvira did too. Your grandmother yawns. <sighs> Come on, she says sleepily. This is way past both our bedtimes. You and your grandmother go inside. You say goodnight and climb the stairs to your bedroom. What a day, you think, flopping down on the soft bed. Watch it! A familiar voice echoes through the room. A lump under the comforter slowly materializes. Elvira! Don't hog the covers! She snaps. She yanks the blanket under you so you so hard you roll right out of bed. You've heard of bad roommates, but this is just ridiculous. Well, you'll just have to learn to get along because Alvira is here for eternity. Your days of having your own room have come to an end. Raps, we did it. We lived? Deathless. The entire time? Percent. We did it. Any, we got an any percent run. Hell yeah, Oh buddy. my god. I had, I, wow. And we used deductive reasoning to I, get there. I, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this one from like a, this one was more of like a, like a puzzle escape room book mm -hmm. than the others. Like it was like, I really enjoy that there are, actual little deductions you could 
could do is fun to have like a little graphic in there and stuff too that was really nice i like that one in a different way it started mm -hmm. off weird in the sense of like the setup was very rushed in the sense of again problem solution problem solution problem solution in a very like kind of strange way but then mm -hmm. it, it just did that so it could what's... set up a nice story like a nice little mystery solving yeah, moment I... I think in two different ways we're seeing the effect of the, I guess, maturation of the choose your own uh, goosebumps here. And that is the writer clearly got bored with the opening 10, 15 pages that just slightly give hints and ask vague questions that you don't really know the context for. And was like, okay, none of that, throwing all of that out and is instead working more based on, okay, what logic puzzles can I put in here? How can I seed clues and then have them called back in the future? How can we have all of these callbacks established? Like, you know, the Luckmeyer twins, I don't know how we were going to encounter them earlier, but evidently we could have. Yeah. Could have completely changed the course of things. Could indeed. I, I'm just, I'm proud. Well, dang. Mm -hmm. That we was, finally uh, did it. The Curse of the Creeping Coffin. Oh my goodness. We forgot to do the thing at the beginning of the episode, but I will say, uh, hey, if you listen to all of this, you're the prime demographic for this announcement anyways, and that's that uh, there is a specific dedicated turn-to-page YouTube channel <laughs> that if you are listening to this or watching this on YouTube, you should make sure you go and subscribe to that. There will be a link in the description and the comments because there may be a point where that is the only location on YouTube that this gets uploaded. So if you don't want to miss this version, this format of this podcast, if you're listening to it that way, uh, make sure you go and, and check that out. Uh, because otherwise, yeah, you, you might just start missing it. It's going to be continually uploaded, of course, on the uh, podcast uh, streaming sites as well, which is probably, you know, the ideal way to, to listen to it regardless. But yeah, uh, yeah, if you, if you ever just stop seeing it, remember me saying this right now, that there is a dedicated YouTube channel uh, for this, and make sure to check there first. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah. Make sure that you, uh, you remember at the bottom of the page that there was this previous callback to yes. what you should do at this point in time, and remember to turn to youtube.com slash a bunch of numbers and stuff at the moment, because unfortunately yeah. the page doesn't have like a landing custom page yet. Yeah, so I can't just be like youtube.com slash turn to page because that doesn't that's not a thing. I mean it might be a thing, but it's not our thing if it's a thing. So just again, mm -hmm. like if you're watching on YouTube in the description of this, in the comments of this, or like in the cards or whatever, you'll you'll be able to find a way to to get over to there. Just make sure you subscribe to that so you get kind of in a nice, clean, organized little space there. Uh very, very worth doing. Um go do the subscribes, all the likes, like all that stuff does help out. Like that's why people ask for it, because it does help. It's it's true, unfortunately. Uh, but and a big thank to everyone who has left a review on any of the streaming oh, websites that you have accessed the podcast on. Much appreciated. Huge appreciate. A, a surprising. It just I get it brings a big smile. There's been quite a few people who have. It's very, very, very nice. So huge thank you to them. Uh, huge thank you to the people who have already subscribed to that uh, second YouTube channel. Everything trying to keep, like keep up with that and leaving likes. It really is. It's very nice. It's very nice. This is, I, I say it every week. It's it's one of my favorite things that I'm doing every week. Uh, I'm just so pleased to to get to do it. So anyway, to ensure that it gets to happen longer is a a great thing, in my eyes. So. Hundred percent agreed. Alas, uh, let's just let's wrap it up short and sweet here. 
uh, short and sweet at an hour 15. I mean, hey, uh, this has been turned to page. You can, of course, get it at any place you get your darn podcasts. Um, thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Goodbye.